Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Rocks Across the Pond. It's a curling podcast. My name is Ryan McGee, and I'm coming to you from Richmond, Virginia, and joining me as always from Southampton, England, our professor of Peel, Jonathan Habercroft. Jonathan, how are you today? Ryan, just as I hit record, the sun came out. That's the first time I've seen the sun in like a month. Why did you move to England? I don't know. It's cool. You get to go see Europe. Uh, it's better than dodging tornadoes. <laughs> but that's only that's only Oklahoma in parts of the <laughs> South. That's true. I'm open to moving again. I mean, if uh, here's the, all right, here's my dream job. I've thought about it, and this is this involves a lot of fantasy on my part. But if there was like a job where you could be like half time lecturer, like university prof, half time university curling coach. I'd be down for that. I think the only job in the world where that exists is the University of Alberta. Yeah, so they should hire me. <laughs> <laughs> what about Calgary? Isn't Calgary, like, shouldn't Calgary, University of Calgary, do they want to be beaten by University of Alberta? No, they need to, like, up the game and put some money in there. I don't even think the Dinos sponsor curling. That's what you should do. You should. You should go after that job and then create the Dinos um, curling team. Um, they Jonathan, must have a Dinos curling team. Hmm? They must have a University of Calgary curling team. Uh, I don't think so. If they did, I don't. I don't. I don't think they qualified for that Canada West or whatever they call that conference um, championship. If they do, I don't think Calgary has a curling team. But Jonathan, yeah, that'd be weird. Jonathan, in order for you to be considered for one of those jobs, you should probably think about making it out of the B pool first. That's true. So it's basically all on Felix. You're basically blaming Felix for my... Uh, it's really harsh to be like mean to Felix like that. He's such a nice guy. Felix is keeping <laughs> you from your dream of... It's true. ...of getting paid to be a university lecturer slash curling coach. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh I got to curl the other day. Uh, our league started up, so that was good. How'd you do? Did you win? We won. Uh, so I'm skipping. Well, we're doing skip till you lose. And so I skipped, okay. I skipped game one. Gave up a steal of three in the first, mainly because I threw, I threw takeouts with both of mine. So we gave up a steal of three. And then I did not call a single takeout the rest of the game. And we won 10 to four. For the entire team. For the yeah, I did not. No, I mean, I did not call a single takeout. Period. The rest of the game, it was just See, it's drew the entire game. After the first end, yes. Yeah, that's pretty good. <clears throat> Have we explained the wild amigo before on this podcast? I think so, but basically, it's anyway. Just, basically, it's just call, and it's it's a really good strategy if you're playing on arena ice. It's just throw draws. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. My first, I told you the first time I went down to Dallas to play on arena ice, I'd never played on arena ice before. And there's a stone like on the button. And I went to throw a takeout <laughs> first end skipping. <laughs> and I missed because I just backed off. And so I said, okay, I'll try the other turn. And it backed off the other way, right? So <laughs> it was basically, it took me four ends to admit that I couldn't make an open hit on a stone on the button. And I remember like there's another guy from Alberta who's like another skip there. And he's like, you cannot, he just pulled me over after the game. He's like, you cannot call a game on arena ice the way you do on club ice. You'll just, you'll drive you nuts. And it took me about, 
a year to wrap my head around that. And then a few more years to figure out what worked. And then it was with you and Mark and a few, and who else was on that team that we had in Dallas? Uh, Rusty. Rusty. <laughs> We're in the steers <laughs> and beers. I made to play Nick Myers and he, he brought in some buddies from uh, St. Paul. So they're a pretty good team. And, uh, I think the way the Wild Amigo was invented, because our team name was the Amigos, was I just said, I'm just going to call all draws and then try something ridiculous on my last shot. And what was the score? The score in that game was, was in fact, ridiculous, right? Uh, yeah, I think it was in, in, a, in an eight-end game, I think the final was like 12 to 10. <laughs> yeah, it was something like that. I think it was even like higher than that. But it would, it would be like we'd score four, give up three. Uh, totally bonkers. But... I think in arena curling, that's the way to go. It's a lot more fun. <laughs> it's more fun. I remember. I remember Jesse took it even more to the extreme. She went all draws, right? Do you remember Jesse's girls in the first arena nats? Oh yeah, Nats-Bronze? yeah. Are they yeah. like up to? You taught, them, you taught them well. <laughs> they were up to with Hamburg and they called all draws. I remember this. The umpire was outraged. He's like, you're supposed to be hitting if you're leading, <laughs> and especially in the final, in a metal final. All 16 stones were in play, and they gave they basically gave a steal or one to win the game because the other team had no shot. Yeah. <laughs> it was good stuff. It was good stuff. Arena curling. It's classic. Oh. So, are, are you? How long are you playing? How long does your league run for? Uh, nine weeks with a bye. Uh, so there's, there's, nine, there's like... nine teams. So end of May. Yeah, I think the last one. It's I think going the your club think... going to Arena Nats this year or not? No, no one from Virginia is going to Arena Nationals. Uh, so they they're at the. The GNCC Arena Championship is actually that same weekend. Oh, interesting! <laughs> it's, it's really. It's I think that's. <laughs> uh, I think that's when they could get ice. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the GNCC GNCC Arena Championships is in. It's at. It's either in tri- at Triangle or Charlotte. I can't. I cannot remember. Yeah, we're playing the GNCC Arena Championships on dedicated ice this year. <laughs> That'd be good. Are you going to go to that or not? No. So that's uh, that is my son's first birthday. So I will not be going to that. Well, I guess. Well, actually, like he has a May birthday, right? So yeah, May second. It's actually a good curling birthday if you're a curling parent. I gotta say. Why is that? It's not a great arena curling birthday. Why? Wait, like a birthday during like play down season or you know peak curling season, right? You want the birthday in the summer? Okay. I you thought that, I thought no. I thought that I thought that you, it was it had something to do with the way he qualifies for juniors because it's like in hockey it's based strictly off of January through December. So hockey, like if you're born in January, you're going to be a few months older than everyone else, whether you're, you know, midget, might, you know, whatever it is. So if you're born in January, you're going to have a head start on everybody. So like a friend of mine told me, if you look at the NHL, you'll see there's a, there's a decent number of January birthdays because they were always like a step above their age group when they were coming up. Yeah, no, that applies. So it's weird. So in curling, it's a bit weird. Um, it's July. You want a July or August birthday because you get that extra year of junior eligibility. Mm. So Fisher's hose. 
Uh, it kind of does pay off. I mean, I I was someone with a July birthday, so <laughs> definitely my last year of eligibility, it was I was beating up on poor teenagers, right? And I was twenty, so <laughs> beating up on sixteen-year-olds or thirteen-year-olds in junior zones. But um, and so I think it works that way. But it's not the same. I think part of it's also with with ice hockey. It's uh, when you're registered for school, so you're put in with a certain cohort, and so you're actually physically bigger than all the other kids too. So that's that's kind of the theory there. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, it's going to be a few years. I hope it'll be a few years. Although he's that he's very quickly getting to the point where he would be as heavy as the Rock. He's um, He's in the 120th percentile on height and weight, so we're getting there. He quickly. still is. He's wow. So he's it's not one of those just one of those random big babies that then kind of comes back to the mean. He's he's going to be big. No, he's so he just turned 10 months, and he is he would be in the 50th percentile if he was 18 months old. Oh wow, it's good stuff. He's All eating. Right. He's eating us out of house and home. <laughs> he's not he's not like round anymore he's like he's proportional now he's the the height has caught up to the weight <laughs> and so he's pretty tall then yeah he is ah, which is crazy because I, I am very much not <laughs> yeah well aaron's pretty tall yeah yeah yep uh and then you uh i guess you've got your la what your last english national championship coming up yeah this week you're Very exciting, the mixed. Defending your mixed title? I guess so, although Stu, I don't sure if he retired. He just said, I'm not playing with you this year. So, <laughs> you like... Sounds like he just doesn't he like just you. Doesn't well, that, that does tend to happen. So, you know. <laughs> um, uh, but then he entered, then he entered the, the English men's, you know. So, I, don't, I thought he was stepping back, but then he didn't step back. So, I'm not sure what Stu's up to. But we picked up Kerr who uh, I've played with in the past. So Are you skipping? I am playing third, where everyone's just sliding up one spot and Kerr is coming in at lead. That's what okay. we, that's how we decide to play it. So, so who's yeah. skipping for you? Fiona. Okay, cool. Yeah. Nice. Well, good luck to you. Hopefully you defend. Uh, where do you, any idea where next year's championship would be? Uh. I heard when I was in Aberdeen that Aberdeen wanted to host it again from someone uh, that would know those things. I don't know if the WCF will give them the hosting, but it was a good spot. So if I ended up back in Aberdeen, that'd be cool. I'd save you some money um, too. But first, well, first you got to win, of course. First, we got to win. So I don't like to get too far ahead of myself no. there. And then I kind of figure if you win one of these things, then everything else just kind of falls into place. Uh from speaking from experience, you don't really have to, you know, you don't, you maybe worry a bit about the money, but if it's a chance to do one of these, you know, major championship things, uh, it's kind of a, you know, maybe not once in a lifetime, but a rare experience. So you just, you just pay what you got to pay and go where you got to go. All right. So our last episode, um, which we discussed Polish curling and every, uh, all of the drama going on there surrounding their suspension, uh, go, if you haven't heard that, uh, go back and, and listen to it. It was really interesting. We had a guest uh, from from the Polish Federation of Curling Clubs who kind of gave us 
the inside story on what led to the suspension of the Polish Curling Association. But in that episode, we did not talk any Briar and Scotties. Uh, this is our Women's Worlds preview, but we'll also, uh, Jonathan, you said you wanted to rectify that and talk a little bit of Briar and Scotties first, right? Yeah, so let's do let's do Briar now and then try to fold the Scotties into the Einerson conversation. Uh, when we do the women's world preview. Does that sound good? Yeah. So we are recording this at 11 a.m. on Sunday. So the semifinal is coming up here in about an hour. That is Matt Dunstone against Brad Gushu. And the winner of that will face Brendan Botcher, who's in his third consecutive Briar final. Jonathan, what did you notice? What are your kind of key takeaways from what you've seen so far in this tournament? All right, so takeaway one that we were talking about before we started recording is the championship pool in all likelihood is what's going to be the trials pool in two years' time, I'd say. that Basically, I'm confident about the top seven. I think Gunner's kind of on the cusp, but the other the, the people who finished top seven in the championship pool are all definitely locks for um, the trials, the Roar of the Rings. Gunner's probably one of the last two into that. I think is it nine next time or eight in? Tw- I can't remember. They keep changing the play down format, but those are definitely your p- top eight. I think it's nine. So seven and two from the pre-trials. I think that's right. Yeah, and the gap is just massive now. I'd say. Well, and on the men side, it's kind of it's kind of spread out. You have like one really good team in each province kind of, except Alberta where you've got Cooey and Botcher. In uh, the women's, there's some consolidation there, particularly in Manitoba. Yeah. It's, it's a different, there's different dynamics going on on both sides. But for the, so one of the things that's interesting is some of the teams that were like, they caught her, right? Like to me, they caught her and Laycock. Those are, those are like good, Okay, participants in the trials, like regular participants in slams, Cotter, you know, lost the trials final, lost the Briar final. Like he's a good skip. He hasn't really regressed in terms of his skill, but he's just not hitting the tour as much, and neither's Laycock. And the, the gap between them and the top, the teams that made the championship pool was just massive, right? Um, and so I think there's, it's, you basically got to the point now where we have in Canada seven, eight pro teams and then basically everybody else. Uh, yep. So that's, that's kind of an interesting development. I don't, and I don't, I mean, maybe last year you could start to see it coming. So it's certainly like a feature of this cycle, a lot more pronounced than it's been in the past, I'd say. Yeah, and it will um, be. It's a bit more open still, both in terms of the Scotties, but also in terms of the trials, right? You, you, you probably have four or five kind of. Mm-hmm pro teams and then there's space for you know i'd probably say there's like another 10 teams that i wouldn't be surprised if they made the made the trials but i'd be stunned if at least the top seven i think gunners like i said the bubble team but if any of those top seven didn't make the the trials in in a year and a half's time yeah and really any of those seven could be the team that represents canada right like even even matt dunstone how much that team has improved this last year. And you're looking at, you know, they've got a year and a half until the roar of the rings. How good will that team be in a year and a half? 
and any of those seven could peak at the right time during that week um, at the end of November, beginning of December of 2021 and wind up being the men's representative. Whereas on the women's side, I would be pretty stunned if it wasn't a Jones, Homan, Anderson, or Carey. I'd be stunned if it wasn't one of those four teams. Yeah, I think I think those are the four that clearly have separation on the women's side. But well, uh, did you say Flurry or not? I didn't. Um, You're not convinced yet. They're obviously an extremely good team. I don't think that they're. I think they're even even though they do collect a lot of points on tour. I don't think they're quite at the level of those four yet, in my opinion. Yeah, maybe not. My Although opinion. they've, I mean, they've won a Canada Cup. Um, you know, three of the four have been to a Scotty's final. I think they're kind of like who's next, right? They're kind of right on, right on deck for becoming a, a power team. Um, they just have, I mean, it depends if you count the Canada Cup as winning a major, which in some ways the depth of field and the significance it's. You know, in some ways, a harder thing to win than a Scotties or a Briar, but um, they're they're right there, I'd say. Uh, but yeah, on the men, I think Dunstone. The one thing that he doesn't have that the other seven teams have is he doesn't quite yet have that big game experience, right? Which I think still matters. When he's about, he's he's kind of closing the gap. He's he's about uh, to. He's he's going to get it uh, as soon as we're done recording here. <laughs> yeah, he could. He could very well go, you know, bang bang today and win. Like he, he's got all the shots. I, I, watching the one-two game, it was like he he probably made more spectacular shots in that game than Botcher did. Part of it, I think, is the Botcher team's a little bit more finely tuned, and we're you know just able to wear them down with with yeah. more precision over the course of ten ends. But there there was a couple. He basically had two misses that that gave up steals, and that was. I think mostly just like big game nerves where you you've got to be in a couple of those games to, to kind of have that experience to, to fight through those kinds of pressure situations and keep the focus up for all 10 ends. But once he has that, he'll definitely be in the same, same category as the other, the other six, I'd say. Yeah. Botcher's uh, Botcher's team is just so good at setting up ends that it's not fair because you have a skip as good as Botcher and he's not having to make those spectacular shots that we saw to win games from Cooey, McEwen, and Dunstone um, earlier in the week. He hasn't been forced to make those shots. We know that he can and we know that we know how spectacular of a curler he is, but they, he he hasn't needed to. His team has just kind of sucked the life out of their opponents almost all week, with the exception of the game against Cooey. Yeah, it's very reminiscent of kind of 2010 Kevin Martin kind of team. Just and, and it's very much plays like a similar style to Kevin Martin, which is just we're going to get ahead, try to get a lead early, get a lead with hammer, protect that lead at all costs, be very patient, wait for the opponent's mistakes, and just wear them down. Right, and that's just that's the classic Kevin Martin style. He wasn't, you know, he, Martin was never kind of a lots of rocks and play, lots of offense kind of guy. He was let, let's get a lead and then protect that lead kind of guy. So, and I think in many ways, Botcher, there's been some tactical tweaks, obviously for the five rock free guard zone era, but very much plays in a very similar role to Kevin Martin of just kind of classic control curling. Is there anyone that you think has had, maybe more trouble than the other teams adapting the five rock. We're two years in now. This is the second, what the second Briar, second Briar and Scotty's with 
the five rock rule. Is there anyone that you think has had kind of more trouble adapting to that than, than the four rock era? I don't think so. The big difference, I actually don't think so. I think in some ways, all those teams are slam teams. They've been playing the five rock for, um, I think they started that in 2012. So they've got about seven or eight years experience of playing some variety of the five rock rule. So, so, so is the they answer an advantage? So is no. the answer to that like the Cotter and Laycocks of the world, where there's there are very good tours in BC and Saskatchewan, um, very high quality tours. But the problem is the points aren't there to to just do those tours and get to the slam level. Yeah, I think that's a big disadvantage, right? If you look at um, yeah, I think that's part of it. And, and teams like that, like Scotty McDonald, um, like the teams that if you look at the CTRS are just the next tier down in terms of accumulating the points. The slam teams basically get to play on championship ice only pretty much all season. They may play one or two kind of high level club cash spiels early in the season to tune up, tune up. But the rest of their schedules these days are just slams, Canada Cups, and maybe a couple of international events. So always high quality ice, um, always playing with a five rock rule against other teams that only play the five rock rule. So if other teams are just kind of one or two years into the five rock and don't quite have the nuances and aren't playing all their games against teams at that level, uh, that's that's a big advantage. It may be part of the reason why there, there's so much separation between the slam teams and the non-slam teams these days. At what point? Um, does everyone getting to play five rock at what point does that allow them to kind of catch up a little bit in terms of strategy obviously maybe not shot making ability but strategy wise um, how far are we away from other teams being able to catch up who maybe haven't been playing it in the slams for the last however many years Uh, probably another two years okay I think I think that that we haven't really had so if I think back to when the four rock was interested in Canada, that switch actually happened right when there were like two great dynasties, right? The Furby four and Colleen Jones. And what was interesting about that is that Colleen Jones figured out how to play the four rock with maximal defensiveness. They basically hit everything, even though it was the four rock rule and Randy Furby for the time called, you know, probably the most aggressive game people had seen, at least since Ed Wernick, if not even more so. And so they both adopted their strategy and a lot of the other teams were stuck playing three rock strategies and took them a couple of years to catch up. So in a couple of years, you'll have, you know, the Tyler Tardy was one win away from making the Briar. So in a couple of years, you'll have the teams like Tardy, like uh, Jacques Gauthier's team. You'll have those teams kind of coming into their own and they've, you know, they've been playing five rock and juniors. So I think that that's probably when you'll see it, right? When this, 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 when this pretty good, when this pretty good crop of juniors starts um, making some noise in the men's side. Maybe. I think it was noticeable with say Jamie Murphy's team with um, the Bedard team out of Quebec. Some of these teams that are, you know, technically sound play the game well, but when they got up against the slam teams, you could see that there'd be a couple of situations where the rock placement wasn't quite as sharp. Uh, they'd, they'd kind of make a few calls that, that might be a bit questionable or they might, they may bail a little bit too early and then just 
um, the end would kind of disappear. So I think so, I think that's part of it. But I think there's other reasons the gap is there. It's not just familiarity with the five rockets. You know, if you're if you're on a team that's able to essentially be funded to go curl full time, that's a massive gap that opens up there uh, with teams that maybe are just doing it part time, playing you know, four or five events a year, keeping to the local circuit, not really able to accumulate enough points to get into slams. That's a huge chasm there that, uh, you know, regardless of your talent, you might not ever be able to close. Are you seeing the same thing in, in the Scotties or the, on the women's side, or is, um, or is it just a, a little bit different just because of the hitting ability on the men's side? I think, I think you're right. Part of it's the hitting ability, the upweight ability. Um, I think the other difference is there are not as many like the slams for the women's side of the game are not as Canada centric is one way of putting it. That's right. So, true. right. When we, when we look at the, the women's standings, there's a lot more international teams that are at that standard. Um, and there's fewer Canadian teams that are basically able to, to be pro full time. So, and we'll see that here at women's worlds as we kind of pivot to our, preview of women's worlds um because looking at it there's a bunch of slam teams at women's worlds and i don't think you'll see nearly as many uh when we get to the men um right before all right so just before we go through and we take apart this field and who we think other than anna hasselberg has a chance to to win the worlds (laughs) coming up uh we do have some more national champions that have been crowned we kind of did that a couple of episodes ago we went through um a bunch of a bunch of the national championships that have taken place and there's been a few more um since we last talked to you so we want to kind of recognize some of the some of the champs that have been crowned uh across the globe here um, and I'll just go through them real quick, and then we'll go through the, the women's field. Jonathan, we'll start with Denmark, um, and we'll talk about this team coming up, and they will be the Danish representative. It's the team that was also the Danish representative at Europeans, uh, Matilda Halsey. Um, she captures the Danish women's title, defeating a familiar face, Madalena Dupont, who we haven't seen on the international stage here in a little bit. They were... They were in the Danish championships and lost in the final to Matilda Halsey. Uh, another familiar face showed up on the men's side. That was Rasmus Sterna, uh, but they finished second, losing to Tobias Tuna, who you saw him a few years ago at European Junior Bs, where they finished second and they were able to make the the main field of World Juniors. I think that was four years ago, and that team. They know they won. They won the bees that year. Uh, no, they finished second to Russia. Oh yeah, no, the Russia won. Oh yeah, you're right. I yeah. remember now. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Jonathan, I have it in front of me. <laughs> I remember now. They said the Russian national anthem. <laughs> oh god. Um, so yeah, they uh, that was a very solid uh, junior. What's interesting to me about Denmark is they are either really good or really bad, especially on the men's side where a couple of years ago, Denmark was down in the European sea pool and now they're back. They, uh, they, uh, team, uh, Kraus just finished fourth at, at Europeans this year. But, uh, I believe according to an email I received from the Danish, um, Federation, it will be team, uh, Thuna, um, representing Denmark at, at men's worlds, 
along with Team Halsey um, representing Denmark here next week. Um, why do you think that is? Why do you it, even more so than a bunch of countries? Denmark is very up and down. It seems. Uh, just depth. I, th- I, I was talking to the Danish coach. I think they have four places they can curl in Denmark. So that's not many. Um, but it's a small country. So, it's a small country, but it's also if you only have four facilities. Let's say you've got, I don't know, probably in the neighborhood of five hundred active curlers. That's the pool of curlers you're drawing from, right? Versus if you have a million, you're going to be better, right? I think that's that's I think that's a big part of it. Quite frankly, for a lot of these countries, is they may, especially the, basically the way you develop elite curlers is through a junior program, uh, and it can be very up and down. Like right now, the the Danish junior boys team is actually very good, technically sound. They're all twelve and thirteen. Um, they'll be very scary <laughs> in a few yeah. years. <laughs> I've, had, I've coached against them a couple of times, but they're young, right? So that means that there's not anyone in that seventeen, eighteen, nineteen age range that's. Um, you know, competing at a high level right now. That group, when they kind, of, when they, well, first of all, hit their growth spurt, but secondly, get a bit more experience. And assuming they stick with it, which is always a big if with juniors, they'll probably become another uh, team that gets promoted up to the A pool in juniors. And you know, Tobias Tuna was a very good curler when he was skipping in juniors, got up to the World Junior A's, and now you see what four or five years later he's making the World A's in men. So that's that's kind of par for the course. It normally takes a few years out of juniors to kind of catch up to the adult game. So, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just depth and having, um, you know, having enough people curling to pull and put together a competitive team. Yeah. And he's got, uh, Daniel Paulson playing second for him. That was the Danish skip uh, a couple years ago at euros. Uh, what was interesting, Michael Kraus, who finished fourth at Europeans this year finishes fifth at the at the Danish Championship. So that's a, that was a that was an interesting result to see. Um, I also don't know if these will be your Euro representatives next year. Every country does it different. Um, like Jonathan, where you are in England, the winners of this year's English Championships that'll be Team England all of next year, starting at Euros. If they make it to the World Qualification Event, they'll be England there. If they then make it to Worlds, they'll be England there. Other countries, you know, you hold your national championship right before Worlds, and then if that team wins, they're your representative, whether or not they represented that country at Europeans. Um, But yeah, every country does it very differently. So according to the email I got, those will be your two teams at Worlds. No idea if they will be your teams at Europeans in the fall. In Estonia, we have a familiar face winning on the women's side. Marie Terman is the champion once again, beating Trin Madison in the final. We have a new champion uh, on the men's side, Eduard Veltzman. Uh, he wins his first um, Estonian championship beating Andres Jakobsen in the final. Uh, Andres Jakobsen with uh, Harry Lill. Um, throwing fourth stones. So this is the first time that a non-Lil, that includes Harry, Martin, and Erky Lil, uh, first time a non-Lil has won the Estonian Men's Championship since 2006. I don't, did, he, did he not play this year, or no? He uh, threw. He threw off earlier on. 
No, he threw fourth rocks for Andres Jakobsen, the team that finished. Okay. Second. Yep. Uh, Jakob- okay, so he's still playing. He's retired yet. No, he's still, yeah, he's, he does, he kind of, it seems like he focuses more on doubles, but um, he was throwing fourth rocks for uh, Team Jakobsen uh, with Andres Jakobsen skipping. Yeah. Finland, uh, the men's champion, is skipped by Kali Kiskinen. Um, interesting about that team. That team includes Willie Michaela and uh, Timu Salu. Uh, interesting, those are the other three players that won silver in 2006 with Marco Uso Um So they, they are still out there uh, winning games in Finland. They'll be Team Finland next year. They beat this year's uh, last year's champ, Jermu Polinen. In the final, uh, or I'm sorry, they did not. They do. They don't do a a final in Finland. Um, Team Kiskinen had won the round robin um, and won it outright, so there was not a need for a final there. Same thing on the women's side, where Milja Sulema is is the Finnish champion. They'll be Team Finland next year at Euros, uh, beating Mia Turto um, in that round robin. Uh, France. Um, familiar face on the women's side, Pauline Ginneret is the women's champion, beating Stephanie Barberin in the final. Uh, new champ, first-time champs on the men's side, Stéphane Vigneault is your men's champion in France, beating Eddie Mercier, who we've seen a few times at Euros. Uh, first time, yeah, first time uh, getting the championship for uh, Vigneault, and we will see him at the European Bees next year. How many championships have you found in the world? 25. Because <laughs> this is a very deep dive. This is like deeper even than curling zone. Uh, 25. Is that a wow. lot? Um, <laughs> so that's like about, is it, that's a little more than half the federations have a national championship that you could find. That I've found so far, yes. And there's a bunch that yeah. haven't been crowned yet. Like the, the Polish championship, which we've talked about, it's going on now. It won't end until... April 5th, because they kind of, they played on weekends, basically. Um, Hungary's is in April. Um, the che- the Czech Republic's is coming up later. It'll be, the the men are in mid-March, the women are in are in April. Um, so there's a bunch of, cha- like the, the, it seems like the countries, a lot of countries don't schedule their championships until they know um, what pool they're in. Like if, if they're in the sea, they'll have it early. Uh, and then that team will go to this, the European Sea Pool in uh, May. But teams that know that they're already in the B Pool, they'll kind of hold them later. So there's a little bit less of a gap between the championship and the B Pool. Okay. Yep. So, uh, and then we'll we'll wind up we'll uh, round out with Norway, which just finished, and uh, it's a it's a Ramsfell dynasty. Jonathan uh, Maya Ramsfell wins on the women's side, beating Marianne Rorvik. That team includes Kristen Skaslian. Uh, but Maya Ramsfell, I think this is the first time uh, first time she's won the women's final. They've been the junior representative uh, out in Norway for the last few years. And then on the men's side, Repeat champion from last year, Magnus Ramsfeld, beating Team Olsrud in the final 7-4 to four today. Um, so that's two straight for Magnus Ramsfeld. Uh, and what's funny, so I remember, this, I remember this distinctly. Last year at Worlds, 
Magnus Ramsfeld was there, and he brought Stefan Wallstad as his alternate. And Wallstad wound up playing in a lot of the games, including in the last uh, in the last draw. So they're playing the U.S. And Schuster's beating them pretty good. And Schuster knows he's in the playoffs. And he, I think they were going to play later that day, either later that day or early in the morning. Um, so they're looking to play as few ins as possible. So they get up a big lead. Ramsfeld doesn't shake. They think about it and they choose to keep playing. And Ramsfeld told Schuster, and this was picked up on the mics, that his excuse was, we want to keep playing because Stefan's going to beat me the next few years. And then, so we get to this year, Stefan brings in Thomas Olsrud into his team and then loses to Magnus Ramsfeld in the final. So Magnus Ramsfeld heading back to Worlds. They, uh, they kind of struggled last year. We'll see how they do this year. Ah, interesting. You never know in curling, so you, never, you can never tell uh, what's going to happen. That's the moral there. <laughs> so uh, you want to preview this women's world championship now? Yes. <laughs> Finally, we're like, <laughs> we're like 30 minutes in. Yeah. We just now got, so we'll go through this a little quickly, a little quicker than we planned, I guess. Uh, what order do you? There is a lot going on in the world, right? There is. <laughs> There's a lot of curling going on right now. We're peak curling season. That's right. So. Um, what order do you yeah. want to go through these teams? Order of merit, or do we want to go alphabetical order by region? All right, you you hate order of merit, um, and because of that, I am, we're going to go through these teams based off of order of merit. So we'll go from uh, worst in order. I don't of merit. hate order of merit. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't hate it. I just don't think it's like literal. But we'll we'll get to that in a second. Bye. All right. So we're going to go reverse order of merit. So we'll start with the lowest ranked team and uh, we'll move to the highest ranked team in order of merit. Uh, what's interesting is you have seven teams at this year's Worlds that are in the top 12 in order of merit, which I, I think that's a pretty strong field for Worlds, don't you? Yeah, it'll probably be a deeper field than the men's is my hunch. Denmark, Halsa, that they are 148th in order of merit. This is Halsa's first trip to the Worlds and her first time skipping. Um, the best that Denmark has done at this tournament was they won in, uh, in 1982. Um, against the rest of the field, uh, Matilda Halsa is 0-5, and she did not participate in any slams. Uh, this is a junior team. They really only played in three tournaments all year. Um, they went four and three, uh, finishing second to Maya Ramsfeld, who we just talked about at the Brayhead Junior. They went two and seven at the European A's, which was good enough to to qualify them for Worlds based off of, I think, Draw Shot Challenge. Uh, and they finished sixth at the World Juniors. Uh, Matilda Halsey does have Olympic um, Olympic experience. She played lead for Madalena Dupont at the last Olympics. Uh, I would say this is a team to watch for the future. Um, I think I said this also during the European preview. Like they're they're not going to win uh, this year, but they're young. They've been getting a lot of good experience. They're starting to play on tour. Their record against the field is not great. I think they, they're actually winless against the field, but uh, they're still juniors. And uh, 
they they actually even like their game at the Europeans where they played Hasselberg, it, they weren't like you know chased off the ice. You could it was just the difference in terms of age, maturity, and and those kinds of factors. So for this year, no, but I think it's a team that in you know four or five years, kind of mid twenties, is definitely going to be uh, a threat at the Worlds. Up next is Team Kubaskova from the Czech Republic. They are 79th in order of merit. This is her fifth trip to the Worlds and her fifth as a skip. Jonathan, that makes her the third most experienced skip in this tournament. She's been to the playoff once, finishing sixth in 2018. That is also the Czech Republic's best finish at a Women's Worlds. They are 4-7 against the field. Most of those coming at Europeans, they do have a win against Team Stern under their belt. No slam appearances, four in three at the Bernie's Ladies' Cup in January. Probably outside the playoffs looking in at the end of the week. Not bottom of the table, but um, I'd be surprised in this field given the depth uh, if they were able to qualify for the top six spot. Yeah, 2018 at Worlds, that was a Olympic year, so you had a little bit of a watered-down field, um, but they were able to make playoffs that year. Um, Up next, Team Italy, they came through the World Qualification event. They're 76th in order of merit. This is the third trip to the Worlds for Veronica Zapponi, her first as a skip, no playoff appearances. Italy's best finish in the Worlds was fifth in 1980. She is 0-4 against the field. No slam appearances. Um, no events where they earned um, world... Uh, where, uh, no events where they earned WCT points since participating in the World Qualification event in January. They did make the quarterfinal at the Bernie's Ladies' Cup uh, back in January. Yeah, so I, again, I'd say not... Uh not likely to make the playoffs. Uh, I think these teams, the primary goal here is to pick up uh, as many Olympic qualification mm-hmm. points as possible. But uh, none, I, I don't think, I can't see any of them making the playoffs this year. Uh, up next, Team Yinch from Germany. They finished fifth at Europeans to qualify for this tournament, 30th in order of merit. So there's a big jump there between the bottom three and these next three. Uh, this is this is Daniela Yinch's seventh Worlds, her sixth as a skip. That makes her the second uh, most veteran skip uh, in this tournament. Uh, her best finish, though, is only ninth uh, three times, the last time coming in 2019. Germany has won two Worlds, the last one coming in 2010. Uh, she's five and eight against the field this year. She did go to one slam. That was the Tour Challenge Tier Two, where they went one and three. Um, they won the Bernie's Ladies Cup consolation round back in January, beating Jamie Sinclair in the final. They went two and two at the Glen Hill Ladies. Uh, they've lost, and they're they're all of their losses at Europeans this year were to the four playoff teams. Yeah, I think like the, they'll be playoff cusp. I would say, like the, definitely for them, finishing midfields probably likely, and they'll probably be battling down to the final draw for that that sixth or seventh spot kind of thing. 
All right, this next team is my team to watch. Uh, this is Han Yu and Team China. They won the PACCs. Uh, she's 26th on the order of merit. Her first trip to Worlds, first time as a skip. Uh, China does have one Worlds gold medal coming back in 2009. Uh, Han Yu is 5-6 and six against the field. No slam appearances. Um, finished fourth this year at... World or she finished fourth at last year's World Juniors, throwing fourth stones. Um, more junior experience on this team. Uh, her third, uh, Dong Zixi, finished third at the tw- 2018 World Juniors, uh, throwing fourth stones. Uh, Zheng Lajun, uh, she was vice at the PACCs, and they added Dong Zixi um, in the middle of the year. Only went to two Canadian spiels, but made the semifinals at Lloyd Minster and made the final in Moose Jaw. Uh, I don't know enough about them to speculate. Uh, so it's a new, but it's a new lineup for them this year, right? And it's their their first year under the new coaching program with Soren Gran. Is that the? Yeah. That's what we're thinking here. So, you know, I think Soren's teams, the countries he goes and coaches tend to rise up the rankings pretty quickly. So I agree with you, their team to watch, although I know nothing about the team at I mean, all. I mean, we knew nothing about them coming into the PACCs, and then they went and won the thing. But yeah, they have uh, Soren Gran, and of course, Peya Lindholm now runs the whole program in China with Soren Gran also. Uh, also coaching teams. So this will be a well-coached team. Um, I, I, I think they could do anything in this tournament, really. Yeah, it could, they could be anywhere. I think they're, they're and they probably are not that well known by the other teams. If they've only, what's the record against the field? So they've played about 11 games against the field, probably not super well known uh, to the major teams in this field, I'd say. Uh, up next, Team Korea, skipped by Jim Unchi. Um, they had to go through the world qualification event, which they won. Um, this is actually uh, Jim Unchi's fifth trip to Worlds, her second as a skip. She finished seventh in 2016. The best finish for Team Korea overall was last year when Kim Minji finished third. Uh, they are eight and three against the field, a very good record against the field. No slam trips this year. Um, they got here. They've been team Korea all season. Um, they stole two in the 10th to beat Kim Minji way back in July to become team Korea. Um, haven't played in anything that earned them points on the world curling tour since that world qualification event in January. However, they did participate in the made-for-TV Korean Curling League in February, going 3-3 three and three in the round robin. That included um, that included uh, a win over Kim Eun-jung, who, that's the Garlic Girls team, that uh, won silver at the Olympics back in 2018. However, they were 0-2 against Kim Min-ji. Um, the playoffs of the Korean Curling League were canceled due to the coronavirus. So that three and three record is her, those are all the games that she's going to have from the Korean Curling League. Uh, She also finished second to Kim Minji at the Korean Winter Sports Festival in February. So they have been playing games, um, but they've all been against Korean competition leading up to this event. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, Korean teams in the last few years have really posted very strong results at World Championships and Olympics. So certainly uh, a dangerous team, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, do we know if they're going to be able to make it because of the coronavirus? Yeah, they uh, they flew out to Canada a while back. I saw that posted on Instagram that they, they came to North America early um, because of that. Yeah, so that so they they're not we don't throw about that angle there, so that's good to hear. Yeah, and I'm sure I'm sure China is the same thing. They've probably been they've probably been in Canada for a while, leading up to uh, leading up to the worlds. Um, but they're nowhere near Wuhan province, right? And uh, China's mostly located in Wuhan province, so. I mean, it's widespread now. I don't think it matters where you are. I mean, shoot, even uh, what the second. Uh, the second most widespread country is Italy, I think. Yeah, but it's northern Italy. Actually, Italy might be in trouble because they're because they just quarantined, and they actually are in the region that was quarantined. So mm-hmm. that's actually an angle there too. Because actually, Italy just shut down Lombardy. So yeah, in and the they, north. Yeah, and uh, Syria A uh, soccer is playing games in front of empty stadiums this week, and I think they will be for. For a while. Well, they, it, I'm not sure if you heard the news this morning. Italy quarantined all, basically all the north of Italy. So 11 provinces, like 12 wow. million people are under quarantine. So wow. that, it, that actually might be an angle if Italy hasn't left yet. I'm pretty sure Turin's in the quarantine zone. Let me check that too. Well, what really the thing is, would if I assume they're already in Canada, they wouldn't be, would they be allowed back into the country? No. Okay. I don't know. I don't know how it works. Here here the issue is so in the UK if you fly in from a country that uh was in a it's kind of flagged as a quarantine zone, they they check you at the airport and if you don't have a fever and they don't you don't you pass the coronavirus test, then you're ordered to self-isolate, stay at home basically for 14 days. Um I don't know how Italy's handling it, hmm. but um that's how they're handling it here. Uh that will be a story to watch. We'll see uh, if they mention it on any of the broadcasts. Up next is yeah. Team Russia, skipped by Alina Kovaleva. They finished fourth at Europeans and beat Anna Sidorova four games to one in their best of seven to become Team Russia here at Worlds. They are 12th on the order of merit. This is the third Worlds for Alina Kovaleva, her second as a skip. Um, she's been to the playoffs, making uh, finishing fifth in 2019. The best finish that Russia has produced at Worlds was second in 2017. Uh, she is seven in four against the rest of the field. Played in one slam where they went four and two. And Jonathan, this is a team that's kind of been on the verge, and they're still looking for their their big breakthrough. Um, are they a medal contender? Yeah, they're definitely a playoff contender. And, you know, if you're in the playoffs, you're one win from the medal round. So I, I definitely would say they're a contender, not a favorite, but certainly, like you said, they're, they basically are very solid. Uh, and the Europeans, they're, you know, always making the playoff round these days, um, posting good results, very steady, uh, don't seem to rattle very easily. So very much a dangerous team, but still a little bit of separation between them and the the more regular slam teams that we're turning to shortly, I'd say. Uh, up next is the United States. 
uh, skipped by Tabitha Peterson. They are 10th in the order of merit, and Tabitha's been skipping all season. Nina Roth is on maternity leave. Uh, when they started the year, I think they kind of knew that this was going to happen. So Tabitha has been skipping the team all year. Nina played uh, up until, I think, November. Um, and then uh, she and her husband welcomed their son uh, on February 7th. Uh, yeah, her last event was the Autumn Gold Classic in October, but Tabitha has been skipping and throwing fourth rocks all season. They beat Jamie Sinclair uh, for the U.S. title. This is uh, Tabitha Peterson's fourth appearance at Worlds, but her first as a skip. Uh, the U.S.'s best finish at Worlds was when they won in 2003. I believe that was Debbie McCormick who skipped that team. Um, so far this year, they are 4-3 and three against the field. They've played in two slams where they have an 8-2 and two record, so a very impressive record um, in, the, in the two slams that they participated in. I think this is... Yeah, I, I'm curious to see how they do. I think there's a good chance they medal this year. Um, this is probably the strongest a U.S. women's team's been uh, in a generation since the Debbie McCormick teams back a while ago. So uh, this team, I'd say, is definitely a medal threat. Does it matter that you have a rookie skip? Uh, I think Tabitha has not been like a rookie all season, so I don't. I don't. I mean, she's played in slams, played, won a national championship. She's got a lot of experience um, playing in these kinds of events, so I don't. I don't anticipate it being that big of an issue. Okay. I, I think the more interesting thing is if they post a really good result. What happens uh, when Dina comes back next year? Is it is it going to be a case like when Mark Mark Nichols uh, took over for Brad and everything just goes back to how it was, or is it kind of open questions like when your backup quarterback comes in? and plays better than the starting quarterback, does that kind of cause issues? So that'll be an interesting uh, thing to see how that develops. But I think they'll, I, I anticipate them doing pretty well here this week. I, I don't think Nina will be Drew Bledsoe here. Unless they, <laughs> unless they, I don't know, unless Tabitha wins gold, maybe, I don't know. But I can't, I can't imagine them I can't imagine Nina playing the part of Drew Bledsoe to Tabitha's Tom Brady. Uh, with, uh, with this, team. all right, we'll see. <laughs> all right, up next is Scotland. Welcome back, Eve Muirhead. They finished second at Europeans this year, they are ninth on the order of merit. This is Eve's ninth worlds, her eighth time as a skip, making her the most experienced skip in the field. She's been to the playoffs four times, she won this event in 2013. That was also uh, the last time Scotland won Worlds. They've done it twice, and the last time was in 2013 with Eve skipping. She's played, other than Team Hasselborg, actually, no, she has played the most games against the field. She's played 22 games against the field. She is 10 and 12. Been to three slams. Not a great slam record this year, only five and nine in her three slams. It's her first time back at the world since 2017 when she finished third. And what's interesting to me, Jonathan, got to be in the top six to make the playoffs. The only time Eve has ever finished lower than sixth as a skip 
at the Worlds was her very first appearance in 2009 when she finished eighth. Yeah, so I, th- I mean, I'd, I'd be stunned if this team didn't make the playoffs. Yeah. So, uh, I, yeah, I, I, it's it, we're kind of moving into the category now of not quite locks, but pretty close to yeah. locks. I mean, I, I, I don't want to jinx Eve again after saying after our predictions for the Scottish Championship last year, but um, they're definitely playing a lot better this year. They're back in the top ten in the order of merit. They haven't really had a signature tournament win this year. Right, they haven't, they haven't really, you know, the, the results in slams and the Europeans were, um, I guess, uneven, I'd say. But in terms of a tour season, they're definitely kind of posting results again. So I think they'll be definitely in it for the playoff round. After that, I think all bets are off. I think they won one of the Oakville tournaments, but that was back in August. <laughs> that, that was... Yeah. <laughs> I think that's early season, and I'm a little skeptical just because the way the British curling program runs things is you're basically on the ice for midsummer, so uh, five days a week training. A lot of the Canadian teams don't get on the ice until very late summer. So at that point, you've got a six-week head start. You've been scrimmaging against the other teams in the program. They're already pretty close to midseason form. Um, whereas a lot of the Canadian teams in Oakville are, are using that as their kind of break-in spiel. So I take some of those early season results with a bit of a grain of salt. I think they're definitely better. Like I, I, it's, they're, they're definitely better than they were. Like last year was definitely an off-season for, for Eve, uh, kind of recovering from the hip. And they'll definitely be in contention come Olympic time, and they'll definitely be in contention this week. But... As we move into the top four of the order of merit, I still think there's a bit of separation between uh, the Scottish team and the top four teams. Yeah, there's um, there's there's two teams in this field that I'm kind of penciling into the playoffs. One is Team Hasselberg, and one is Team Muirhead. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully that hopefully that doesn't jinx her, but I I don't I don't see this team missing the playoffs. Uh, up next is Team Switzerland. Um, Skipped by uh, skipped by Elena Stern throwing third rocks with Briar Herleman throwing fourth rocks. They are sixth on the order of merit. They are coached by Earl Morris, and he's got them sixth in the order of merit. This is Elena's first trip to Worlds and first as a skip. Uh, Switzerland, all they do is win Worlds. Uh, they've won this tournament seven times, including last year with Team Tirenzoni. Uh, this team is six and eight against the rest of the field. They did make it into four slams. Not a fantastic record. They went eight and eleven uh, in all the slams. And so, uh, welcome to prime time for Team Stern. I I I think anyone expecting first event jitters from them is uh, foolish. Uh, the Swiss teams have a tendency of just kind of showing up and winning worlds, regardless of who it is, like you said. Um, I'm not sure if they're the favorite to win it, but they'll definitely, I would pencil them in as a lock for the playoff round, too. Okay. But um, yeah, at that point, at that point, I think you get to the medal round, and it's, it's you know, there's, there's experience in these big medal round games that I think might be a factor here. But um, definitely, I wouldn't undercount, I wouldn't treat them because they're rookies as um, underdogs by any stretch of the imagination. If I'm going to draw a parallel with the men's game, I'd say they're a bit like the Bruce Millett team of a few years ago, where only kind of the hardcore curling fans will know who they are, but um, they'll probably show up, post really good results, and by the end of the week, everyone's going to know who they are. Okay. 
Uh, up next, Team Japan, skipped by Satsuki Fujisawa. They are fourth in the order of merit. This is her third, trips to, tri third trip to Worlds and third as a skip. She's been to the playoffs once, uh, finishing second in 2016. That is also Japan's best finish at Worlds. She is 7-10 against the field, played in four slams, posting a 15-11 and 11 record in those slams. Uh, it's been a while since we've seen Satsuki Fujisawa at Worlds. Um, good to see her back, and uh, I imagine this team's going to do pretty well. Yeah, I think they're kind of a they are kind of a prime time team. Like they on big events they show up and play well. They don't seem to get phased by the pressure. They they actually are a team that rides to the pressure, I'd say. Um, you know. Their their twenty sixteen run was pretty epic. So I could see them doing something similar again this year. So I definitely for me one of the favorites to, to medal. Uh, up next is Team Canada, skipped by Carrie Anderson. They are second in the order of merit. This is her first trip to Worlds and first as a skip. And you have you have three, uh, three rookie, uh, three rookies on this team in terms of the Worlds. Uh, Shannon Burchard won gold as the alternate for Team Jennifer Jones in two thousand eighteen. Canada has won this event 17 times, the last time coming in 2018. Um, Carrie Anderson is 9-5 and five against this field, played in four slams, going 12-10. and 10. Like I said, first time representing Canada at any WCF event for Anderson, Sweeting, and Brianne Mayur. Uh, the last time that... A first-time skip at Worlds for Team Canada won gold was Kelly Law in 2000. How much does it matter that there's not a lot of Worlds experience here when you have the pressure of wearing the maple leaf? The only skip in this field that's won it is Eve. I think it's kind of an interesting stat, right? That is really interesting. Am I wrong about that? No, that is correct. Um, so I think there's always a pressure when you're Team Canada, and I think there's a lot more parity at the international level in the women's game than in the men's game. And so Canada hasn't performed that well in the last decade, even though they've had, you know, definitely Jones and, and Holman have been two of the, the kind of more dominant uh, teams in the women's game of this decade. Uh, despite that, uh, I think Canada's won less than half of the games in the last world championships in the last decade. Um, I think Anderson, though, that's their powerhouse team, right? The only thing missing from their resume was um, winning the Scotties, and they took care of that that, that bit of business. And um, they may be looking at the international level, but they're actually a very deep veteran team, right? Like mm -hmm. uh, Val Sweetings. Oh, yeah. Many runners up in the Scotty, so kind of great to see her come over, get over the top there. Uh, she also lost the the world mixed the the Olympic mixed doubles qualifier in Canada with uh, Brad Sh uh, Brad Gushu. So she's you know basically done everything you can do in curling but win a, a national title. So uh, I I think that this is a strong team. It's not I don't say I don't think there's ever a fluky team to win a Scotties, but this is a team that's I'd say one of the favorites for to be the Olympic representative uh, oh, yeah. and have posted really good results the last few years. So they're fully capable of showing up and winning a, a gold medal first time at a world championship. 
And finally, Team Sweden, skipped by Anna Hasselborg. They are first in the order of merit. This is her fourth trip to the Worlds, fourth as a skip. She's made the playoffs the previous three times, finished second the last two times. Uh, Sweden has won eight of these, the last coming all the way back in 2011. That's kind of surprising. Uh, she is 15-4 and four against this field. And uh, this, this next one's the incredible stat. Four slams, 23-4 and four in slams this year. Uh, she has done every wow. yeah. She has done everything so in it's curling. Like an eighty-four percent win percentage. Yeah, a bit more than that, like eighty-five <laughs> percent. All right. Yeah, uh, she's done everything but win this tournament, and she's probably going to win this tournament. <laughs> they're, I mean, yeah, they're the favorites. They they still want to win it. I think this is the one thing that's escaped them. They've. Lost was last year also go to an extra. They lost to Jones in an extra, and last year was right, right there. That went that went to an extra too, didn't it? I think it did. Yeah. So not not just lost two world finals, lost two world finals in an extra end. So they're right there. Um, I, I you know uh, I, I there's definitely separation between them and the rest of the field. So they're definitely the favorite to win the whole thing. I can't can't dispute that logic ryan yeah i i think anything can happen here you have you have seven teams in the top 12 in order of merit you have six first-time skips including three first-time skips among among the top 10 in order of merit um yeah i think i think this is going to be a wild tournament other than I think you will see team Hasselberg kind of separate themselves. I, th- I don't see them finishing anywhere, but first in the round Robin, however, it's a single elimination tournament. So absolutely anything can happen. And I expect anything will happen in this tournament. I think so too. I think the one thing that's interesting is when they went to the six teams, make the playoffs, um, basically NFL playoff format. Uh, I was expecting more upsets to come out of it, mm-hmm. and it hasn't really happened yet. Uh, the the, the, the Scotties and Briar format with the page really does favor the team that's more consistent over the weeks to get two kicks to the can of making the final. So you don't have this here. You actually only get one kick at the can to make the final if you get the best record all week, and if you lose the semifinal, you're toast. So one of these years, maybe not this year. I think we're one due of these for years, it. I think we're speaking, due. A five or a six seed is just going to get on a hot streak, win the three games they have to, and win the championship that way. So you're right. We're, we're probably due for it. But uh, I know Hasselberg's pretty dominant in terms of the record they've posted the last few years. So on paper, at least, you'd say Einerson's really the only threat. But the games aren't played on paper, Ryan. They're played on the ice. <laughs> I think there's I think there's a lot more threats than just uh, – Kerry Anderson, I think I think Fujisawa is a threat. I think Team Stern is a threat. I, I I really do think that this is the year Hasselberg finally wins. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's they want it very badly too because it's the only thing they don't have on their CV. So, yep. Uh, give me a give me a team out of that top twelve that could wind up finishing 
kind of low in the round robin, and then all of a sudden their country is at risk of missing the automatic bid for the for the Olympics. Ooh. <clears throat> this is the first year they're counting the Olympic points, right? That's an yes. interesting one. So this year, um, this year and next year, based on how you do at Worlds, this year and next year, you earn points for your country to be one of the seven automatic qualifiers for the Olympics. Um, give me, give me a team. So, that, give me a team that might kind of slip, and then all of a sudden next year, their country needs a really good result in order to qualify. Could well, I'll go with two. I would I, Fujisawa. I could see winning the whole thing. I could also see them missing the playoffs. Kovaleva. I, I can't see them winning the whole thing. I could definitely see them winning a medal. But if you just go by the order of merit standings, which I hate to do, but they're they're the least best. <laughs> they're the <laughs> they're the best of the worst, or the worst of the best. I guess is how you describe it. So they're they're technically that bubble team. And so if say Korea gets hot or China gets hot, both of which are very plausible and post better results against Kovaleva and they string Kovaleva then struggles against the teams that are above them in the order of merit standing. That's a pretty plausible way that Kovaleva misses the, misses the playoffs. Um, Do you know how they're doing the points with China in this? Cause China, hosting they they already know that they're in the olympic tournament so are they doing this like one through 12 or are they not counting like china's points like if you get like i I think the way it works is what you get 13 points for finishing first and then all and then you go down from there do they like skip china's slot or are they just ranking the teams that aren't china one through 12 and assigning points that way I don't know. That's a good question. China just doesn't get points. Um, I don't know what the ranking is. I don't know if I think it's by the position you finish. Okay, so if China finishes say eighth, then you know you're you're getting the teams below them are getting one fewer point than if they just bumped everyone up, right? Does that make any sense? Uh, I think so. I think you're allocated points based on your position. Oh wow! Not uh, yeah, I know what you're saying. So so China doesn't hold points. Um. Yeah, but China is definitely the kind of team that could show up, qualify for playoffs, and knock a team that needs points down to seventh or eighth place. Mm-hmm. Give me a team outside of the the top twelve in order of merit that we talked about. So the 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 bottom five, I guess. Give me a team that you think has a chance to to make playoffs. A chance? Well, I'd say a so outside of so between Korea, China, Germany, Italy. Czech Republic, Denmark. Yeah. Uh, I would say Korea, China, and Germany all are legit shots at making playoffs. Right? Yet Yench is experienced. It's a very veteran team. Um, I think of these events, they're kind of streaky. Like they they, you know, they they had a really good run at last year's Europeans, uh, not so great at the worlds. Um, uh, so kind of up and down there. So, th- th- so that's kind of a team that if they get hot, uh, definitely can kind of make a playoff run. Uh, China, I think we don't know yet. I think they're kind of a team. I just haven't seen them play, so I don't really have any insights in them. So I'm just going off the fact that uh, 
China tends to throw uh, send teams that tend to overperform expectations. And then Korea, I think, obviously does have a pretty good track record, and they've posted some really good results internationally. So um, certainly a, a team that's capable of making playoffs and making a deep run. I'll take I'll take China. I think that that they they really impressed me at PACCs. Um, they're going to be very unknown by the rest of this field outside of Team Japan and Team uh, Korea. Uh, and you've got uh, Soren and Peya as your coaches. I think that that team is going to do a lot better than than most people think. Um, and I'll I'm I'm with you. I think I think Hasselborg the way they're playing and the motivation to win this tournament, I think that they, I think they get it done. Yeah, I think so too. I'll go Korea. I'll pick Korea. If you're picking China for the, the kind of surprise playoff All right. team. All right. Good deal. All right. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, there's a bunch of games available. Uh, this tournament being held in Canada. They, they've got a couple of trucks there. So a lot of, Basically, every time Canada plays, you have two games available. Both because uh, TSN's broadcasting, so you'll have a lot of games available both on YouTube and in the states on Olympic Channel. Check your local listings, and we'll you know we'll post the schedule as well. So uh, enjoy it, and uh, I'm looking forward to it, Jonathan. Yeah, me too. It'll be. Uh... Good to watch some curling, not non-geo-locked curling for yes. those of us in, in Europe. Uh, so uh, uh, that'll be exciting. Uh, a lot of good games. And I think the thing I like about the WCF events is World Curling TVs are really good production broadcast for a YouTube streamer, have good commentators. So it's it's just as great quality. So it's, it's, it's possible to watch... Uh, Lots of curling when the world is on. Yep, it's going to be some late nights though for me because that is in Pacific time. So uh, yeah, a lot of late nights if you're on the East Coast. If you're on the West Coast, uh, enjoy it. Or early mornings if you're in Europe. Yep. All right. Thank you. And uh, we'll uh, next time we talk to you, we'll be reviewing this and then previewing the men's worlds. Thank you for listening to Rocks Across the Pond, a curling podcast. You can find all of our previous episodes and blog posts at rocksacrossthepond.com. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast app, and leave a review. If you enjoyed listening, the greatest compliment we can receive is when you tell a friend about us. That helps us grow and helps us share our love of this great game. If you have a comment or question, or you just want to talk about curling, you can email us at rocksacrossthepond at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at Curling Podcast. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at Rocks Across the Pond. Thank you again, and we will talk to you real soon. <laughs>